Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor at the Foundry Church here in Winter Springs, Florida. We're so glad that you're joining us uh, for the podcast uh, at some point during your week or your month or whatever. Uh, what you're about to hear is part five of a six-part series called The Gospel According to Ted. Uh, the Ted in question being Ted Lasso from the hit Apple TV Plus series by the same name. We're taking a look at Coach Lasso's journey through uh, the English Premier League and discovering some hopeful and inspiring uh, lessons along the way uh, that can help us uh, be a better us and help create a better world as well. This week's uh, clip that we looked at was uh, the clip that I always tell people, if you've, if you've only seen one clip from Ted Lasso, it was probably this one. It's the game of darts at May's Pub, uh, where uh, Ted and uh, his boss's ex-husband have a conversation about uh, curiosity and uh, judgmentalism over a game of darts. And uh, it's a really nice moment. It's a really powerful moment um, in the story. And uh, I think the same about the message delivered by our family life pastor, Hunter Mertz. And I hope you enjoy part five of The Gospel According to Ted. It is so great to see you all here, to be with you all. Whether you're worshiping with us in person or online, now or in the future, we're so happy to have you all here. We are in week five of our series, The Gospel According to Ted. And if you're joining us for the first time, the series that's Ted Lasso from the Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. Last week we had the kids and the students in here worshiping with us. Was that not a great time? If you were here, I hope you really enjoyed that as much as I did, even with getting a pie in the face. Um, it was one of the best worship services that I've been to for a while. I, I know personally, I just love the energy and atmosphere that they brought into the room. Now, during that sermon, Seth talked about the fact that we don't have a crystal ball. Good, good. Okay, so some of you all remember from last week the sermon. Uh, so yeah, Seth talked that we, we don't know what the future is going to hold, and that can be extremely anxiety-producing. And Scripture, though, it offers us a way to change a little bit how we might think about the future. Helps us think that maybe not knowing the future can actually provide a little bit of, of hope instead of anxiety. And so many of the incredible ways that God changed the lives of individuals and communities throughout Scripture and, and today is through unexpected ways, ways that we often can't fully imagine. And so instead of feeling like we have no control of anything, maybe we can enjoy the fact that God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, God, the one who desires us to have life and to have it to the full, that, well, that's the one who's in charge of our future. And that's pretty good news, is it not? But at the same time, it's, well, it's really hard news to actualize in our lives. But if we do, if we can live that way a little more and more each day, then we begin to strengthen the virtue of curiosity in our lives. 
Curiosity can help us live a little more unplanned. It can help us look to God's future instead of our own plans because we're curious about what God has in store, what's around the next corner. A curiosity can also help us with our relationship with others. So not only does curiosity help with our relationship with God by helping us prioritize God's desires over our own, and not only does curiosity help with our own relationship with ourselves by helping reduce some anxiety about things we don't know and can't control, curiosity can actually help our relationship with others as well by helping us learn to, to build others up and relationships. Now watch this clip where Ted Lasso and his boss, Rebecca, run into their ex-husband, for her ex-husband, and, and see what I mean. She hits the ball, I want it to sound like we just won the FA Cup. <laughs> satisfaction. So, Rebecca, it's time to be friends again. Especially since Bex and I are going to be sitting with you every week in that owner's box. I'm not going every week. <laughs> well, I am. And um, every week when they shove a camera in my face and ask me how I think you're doing, I will tell them it'll be relentless. Mm. So, Rupert, y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? Uh, they'll send, uh, what's the billiard game y'all do that sounds like a brand of cookies? Snooker? That's it. That's the one. Yeah, boy, I'd love to curl up on a couch under a weighted blanket, watch You've Got Mail, and devour a box of Snookers. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like darts, Ted? Oh, they're okay. I'm more of a, you know, a, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How about a game? I mean, we could, you know, maybe wager, say, 10,000 pounds? Oh. Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while Rebecca's still in charge. Ted. What the hell are you doing? Well, I believe some folks call it white nighting, but I don't know. I'm just following my gut here. It's okay. It's okay. No, go What do you think? You're on. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dukes. Yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a second. Got him left handed. Oh, it's gonna be a hoop. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a ball's eye. <laughs> Good luck. Mm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me who I was had nothing to do with it. 
Because if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. You are a very lovely consolation prize. Rebecca, Ted, enjoy your evening. May, as always. That felt good. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Only one thing left to do now. What's that? In this clip, we see Ted supporting his boss by challenging her ex-husband to this game of darts in hopes of stopping or at least limiting some of his harassment of her. And during the game, Ted opens up about a lot of stuff, about being underestimated and judged most of his life. And while there's a lot of really good things we could pull from this clip, I, I, want, us to, I want to highlight that quote that he said. Be curious, not judgmental. Scripture has a lot of things to say about being judgmental, doesn't it? You might be familiar with some of the verses about judging people. For example, in Matthew's sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus' brother James also says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Do you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or, or sit at the floor by my feet. Or have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Scripture gives some pretty strong warnings about judging others. It's generally advised against. And as we read through all of Scripture, we get that pretty strong cognitive sense that we probably shouldn't judge people. But I want to ask a, a couple of questions that the middle schoolers and high schoolers are talking about right now. Who here has ever been judged before? You can raise your hand um, if you have. Yeah, a, a lot of us have. And generally speaking, how did it feel? Good or bad? You can shout it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over, over resounding bad. I, we know that. Judging doesn't feel good. It seems common knowledge. But let me ask another question on the flip side. Who here has ever judged someone before? Because I know I have, and it looks like a lot of us have as well. 
What I find really interesting is the cognitive dissonance that comes with judging. But on, on a very emotional level, we know how terrible it feels to be judged. We know the weight that it puts on us. We know how it can often leave us with guilt and shame and insecurity. Yet even as we hope for a better world, even as we hope for God's intended reality, humanity is caught up in this vicious cycle of judgment. Like cognitively and emotionally, we get it. We know judgment is painful and divisive. But our behavior, how we live in our lives, doesn't always reflect our understanding of that. If you've been to church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a sermon or two or three about judgment. But yet, here we are again. Like it seems like this bad habit we just can't shake. And honestly, you probably don't want me to, but I could give a three, four hour lecture on, on how bad judgment is for our mental and emotional health, the harms of judgment. But if someone cuts me off in traffic tomorrow, well, I'll probably yell at them. You know, yell in my car, shouting out how terrible of a driver they are, or how rude it is for them to think that their time is more important than my time, my safety. I'll jump straight to judgment. There's something about judgment that almost seems to be like baked into our DNA. No matter how much we talk about its dark side, and maybe, maybe that's because our ability to judge is baked into our DNA. Maybe it's because it's the ability to judge is a good thing. You probably didn't see the sermon going this way. Like, what did you talk about in church to say? Oh, you know, judgment's a God-given gift. Maybe we should do it a little more. But maybe it is. Maybe judgment is something that God gave us to do something good with. Wait, judgment simply means to form an opinion or a conclusion about something. That's it. Plain and simple. And judgment is merely the ability to do just that. And we have to do that every day of our lives. And we make countless decisions and judgments. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What's the first task that I need to do at work? How fast should I be driving here? How much over the speed limit do I want to go? <laughs> Making judgments is just how we exist in our life, in our world. It's how we relate to what's happening around us. Now the Greek word to judge from those verses that we read is klino, which means to judge, to decide, to come to a decision. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in these verses. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged Correctly, Jesus said. Not, Simon, how dare you make that decision? Not, you have judged, now I'm going to judge you. 
not, Simon, you are a judge with evil thoughts. What are you saying? Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke him in his answer. Jesus congratulates him, commends him for judging correctly. But what might be more helpful is this isn't the first judgment that Simon makes in this scene. If we zoom back and look at the larger interaction, it starts here in verse 36. And when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them from her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now pause there for just a minute. This is Simon's first judgment in the scene. She is a sinner, and that she should not be doing what she is doing. Now the first half of that isn't a judgment, it's, it's a fact, it's a statement. She is a sinner. Even Luke, from the very beginning of the scene, wanted us to, to know that. He introduces her by saying that she has lived a sinful life. What happens is that Simon takes that knowledge, and then he makes a negative judgment about her, that you are a sinner, so you should not be associating here with us in this way. Because we, well, we are better, cleaner, holier than you are, so you should probably be on your way. It is in regards to this judgment that Jesus steers the conversation the way he does. So let's pick back up with this first. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. We're going to pause again right there because remember that quote that Ted said in the clip, be curious, not judgmental. Simon was curious. Tell me, teacher, he said. I'm curious. I want to know. What are you going to teach me? But with that curiosity, he made a pretty early judgment. Jesus is righteous and prestigious, possibly a prophet. He's someone I could learn from. But this woman, this woman is unrighteous and disreputable. She's definitely a sinner. She should not be part of the scene. Simon is curious, but he's only curious about Jesus. He lets his judgment limit his curiosity. You know, keep that in your mind as we continue on. We'll pick up with the verse that we read before. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, but neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I, I suppose the one who had the big, bigger debt forgiven? Well, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, Simon and Jesus both took the very same information. Here is a sinful woman. And they made two very different judgments that led to two very different responses. Simon made the type of judgment that we're all probably very familiar with in our society. It's the type of judgment that's counter to love and forgiveness, the type of judgment that divides community, the type of judgment that demands conformity instead of unity, right? the type of judgment that excludes, that's self-righteous, that revels in gossip, and we've all experienced this type of judgment one way or the other. I can't believe you go to that church where they emphasize that instead of this. I don't know how you can be part of that political party and vote for that candidate and still call yourself a Christian. Oh, your life choices are different than mine, which means that they're wrong. Or at least not as good as mine. Do you associate with those types of people? Wait, you are one of those types of people? Oh, sure you've heard about that person, the kind of people that they are. Sure you know that they are a sinner. But Jesus, Jesus makes a very different type of judgment. Jesus looks at the sinful woman and says, you are loved. You belong. All those verses that we pull from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew scriptures, to make us feel good about ourselves, Jesus takes those and applies them to her. You know, verses like Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Or maybe First Samuel 12, 20 and 22, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You've done all of this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they're useless. But for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Maybe Psalm 139, 13 and 14, for you were created, you created my innermost being. Lord, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you 
because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Maybe Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Maybe we're familiar with some of these. Maybe we've used these to pep ourselves up. But Jesus looks at the sinful woman and he makes the judgment, you are a child of God, made in God's likeness. And because of that, regardless of your sinful past, you are worthy of being restored into God's intended reality. And because of that judgment, the woman is forgiven and included by Jesus. Do you see how different those judgments are between Simon and Jesus? Simon ignores love and forgiveness. And his judgment leads to exclusion. Jesus' judgment is centered in this love and forgiveness that brings inclusion. Jesus reclaims God's intended reality with his judgment. Simon rejects God's intended reality, prohibits it from coming because of his judgment. In this scene, Jesus is trying to teach Simon, hey, you should judge others the way that God judges you. And we can learn that same lesson. I mean, think of all the time and the energy that you might spend on judging people. Some of the anxiety and angst that that might stir up. But Jesus makes it really simple, really easy for us. Judge like God judges. There's one, one judgment that we can make for every single person that we ever can hope to meet or think of or hear about. And it's this, you are a child of God, made in God's likeness. And because of that, regardless of anything in your past, you are worthy of being restored into God's intended reality. Now, I also understand that people can do really, really vile and harmful things. I get it. I know. I understand that those people who for your own physical, emotional, spiritual well-being, you can't be and should not be in a relationship with. That's very real. But what that does not mean is that the judgment for them is any different. Now, it might mean that it's not your job to restore them into God's intended reality because of whatever situation was created. That's okay. The Spirit of God is bigger than me. I don't have to be the one all the time. The Spirit of God has many ways of working and redeeming people. 
But what it does not mean is that the judgment on them is any different in God's eyes because they are still a child of God made in God's likeness. And because of that, regardless of their sinful past, they are worthy of being restored into God's intended reality. And simply put, that judgment is grace. And when that is our starting point, when that is our judgment about anyone that we happen to meet, it forms the bedrock of a curiosity that can grow both our relationship with God and with others. And we looked at and heard about some of how Simon's judgment on the woman negatively impacted the relationship between them. But it also impeded his relationship with God. Jesus is not only teaching Simon the right way to judge, he's also showing Simon how his judgment cuts him off from curiosity, how it, it stunts his relationship with God. And look what happens when we put Simon and the woman into the question that Jesus asks. Right, so this is the verse, if we just sub it a little bit, if we take the parable and add in the reality that Jesus was trying to point out, we see that it says, well, two people, instead of owed money to a certain moneylender, two people lived a sinful life. One lived a life full of sin, and the other was a Pharisee who tried to live righteously but was not perfect. Just like neither of them had the money to pay back, neither of these two people could restore themselves. So God forgave both of them. Now which will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven, aka I." Her, not me. And Jesus says, well, you have judged correctly. And then he turned to the woman, but said to Simon, do you see this woman? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But you, who have been forgiven little, loves little. See, the woman had this relationship with God that will always be different than Simon's. And she images God in a way that will always be different than Simon. But imagine, imagine what wisdom this sinful woman could teach to this Pharisee. But instead, Simon wrote her off. Instead of developing a curiosity about her, about her relationship with God, he writes her off. But imagine the questions he could have asked. Imagine what he could have learned about her, about God, about what it means to live into God's kingdom. He could ask things like, what practices are you going to develop in your life as you continue building your relationship with God? Well, I'm curious, who, who do you see yourself as now after the love and the forgiveness that you received from Jesus? Where do you feel God's love most in your life? When did you realize who Jesus was? I'm still thinking that he just might be a prophet. How do you reflect to others this love that God has shown you? 
Why did you feel compelled to reach out to Jesus in this way? It's so unique compared to all the other stories I've heard of people interacting with Jesus. There all this wisdom, these perspectives, these connection points that could form a deeper relationship are lost to Simon because he fails to be curious and he judges incorrectly. Because of his judgment and his lack of curiosity, he limits his understanding of love. Now imagine for a moment how different your life could be if you let Jesus' judgment be the foundation of your curiosity. If you saw an image of God in every person that you met and it inspired them, inspired you to get to know them more fully. Imagine if you never wrote people off because everyone deserves to be restored into God's intended reality. And it inspires you to get to know their story because those who have had a bigger debt forgiven have a greater capacity to love the one who forgave them. This way of viewing people, of judging people, opens up our curiosity, our capacity to get to know them, to build a relationship with them, to care deeply for them as God does. So next time, next time you're tempted to judge someone in a way that excludes and dehumanizes them, pause and think instead, they are made in the image of God. I can learn something from them. Let me lean into curiosity. And the next time that you're talking with someone who has opposing political views than yours, who has a different theological understanding than you, who lives a different lifestyle than you? Try not arguing with them. Don't try to prove a point or push them somewhere. Instead, try just asking them questions. Like not questions to guide them to a particular conclusion or to try to back them into a corner or to try to change them, but questions that are genuinely curious. Like questions to humbly learn more about them, about their view on life, about how God created them to see the world around us. Maybe questions like, how did you come to this conclusion? Do you have any stories about how that has positively impacted your life or the life of someone you know? Have you always believed that? And if so, who developed that belief in you? And if not, what did you believe before? What was it like to go through a change of beliefs? Because that's hard. What type of actions does your life bring about because of that belief? How does it encourage you to love others? Or how does it encourage you to love God? Ted, in the clip, told us, be curious. Not judgmental, but maybe. Maybe we need to relearn how to be judgmental. Relearn it by following God's example. Everyone is an image of God. 
Everyone is worthy of God's love. Everyone is worthy of God's intended reality. Let this be the foundation for curiosity in your life and in your relationships, because who knows? Your curiosity might just lead you to a better world and a better you. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us here at the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that message. If you like what you hear, check out a whole service. You can go to our YouTube page. We are uh, youtube.com slash at the Foundry C, and you can see uh, uh, replays of of entire services there, uh, as well as clips that are just the the message and a bunch of other stuff that we post there. Uh, You can also check out our website at thefoundryc.org for more information about our church and things that we have going on. Um, and we, we just, we, we hope that you'll reach out. We hope this has been a blessing to you and that we hope that we will see you again real soon here on the Foundry Church Podcast. Have a great week.